Amen. Thank you. Everyone this season, has this not been a great season of music uh, here at Tabernacle? Hasn't it been great? So grateful for John's leadership to us. What a great uh, time of year we have enjoyed. Let's take our Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we will be in verses 25 through 35 this morning. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, blessed God, and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. But the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. I think most of us realize we spend a lot of time waiting for stuff. In fact, perhaps you have heard the statistics, and though maybe you've heard them, they are still shocking. Do you know what you're going to spend five years of your life doing? Waiting in a line somewhere for some reason. Five years of your life waiting in a line. About this one. You will spend 43 of your precious days on hold waiting for customer service. 43 days. Here's one to think about on your way home today. As you hit the traffic lights which I think there's one light in New Bern for every resident, all right? So when you hit the traffic lights on your way, wherever you're going, you will spend six months of your life waiting at a light. Now, this doesn't even count the other ways in which we might wait. In other words, we might wait for things while at the same time doing other things, nonetheless, what we may be waiting for puts pressure on us. Think about some examples. Though you may go about your day-to-day routine, some of you have been in a position where you were waiting on a phone call from a doctor. It's a tough wait. Some of you perhaps have waited on the results of that last job interview, wondering if you'll get the call back. And a lot of folks in here, maybe from different perspectives, know what it's like to wait on that baby to be born, right? In fact, it seems like for all the waiting, 
eight months, and then three weeks, and then six days. Boy, that last day's a long one, isn't it? And that's coming as the dad. Ladies, wow. It's a long time to wait. You spend a lot of time waiting. <clears throat> and is that not illustrated during the Christmas season? We've got kids in here this morning. Today is the longest day of your life, isn't it? Waiting. I can remember as a child begging my parents, let me go to bed at 6 o'clock. It's the only time of year I ever asked to go to bed early, because I, and I would lay there willing myself to go to sleep, knowing that would, that would speed things up. It's a time of anticipation. But you know, that's fitting, because really, historically, and if we can even use a high church term, liturgically, the Christmas season, at least worship surrounding the Christmas season for the church, is about waiting. It's anticipation. It's looking forward to the coming of Christ. Our main character this morning from the story that we're going to be looking at for the next few minutes knows something about waiting. In fact, the only thing we know about this guy, Simeon, well, we know a few characteristic traits. We know he's an old man. And we know the one thing he has been doing, we don't know how long, but at least for some time, he has been waiting. That's really all we know about his function. He only shows up here in Luke's Gospel. We don't hear about him before this story. We don't ever hear him about him again in the rest of the, of the Gospels or the New Testament. This is it. This is Simeon's 15 minutes, alright? And we know him as doing one thing. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. Messianic title prophetic reference to Christ. And I don't know exactly how he did it, but the text has told us it was the Holy Spirit who said, gave him a promise and said to him, you, you will not die till you see the Lord's Christ. We don't know how often he might have showed up at the temple. But, but I'm inclined to think that if you've been given this promise, you probably show up every day. Every day he made his way to the temple, every day he looked for the Messiah, and every day he went home. Till today. Until this day in the temple when, by the Holy Spirit, God caused the lives of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, and Simeon, to intersect. Interestingly enough, we know exactly the day Jesus is 40 days old. Now, I should go ahead and tell you, I have taken the stories that I've been talking about, the songs of Christmas from Luke's Gospel, I've taken them out of order, alright? So tonight, we'll jump back to the angel's song, which seemed appropriate for Christmas Eve. And we've been looking at, at these, these classic songs of Christmas, where four characters, and if you include the angels as one character, each declare a psalm of praise what's going on with the birth of Christ. We have Mary and her Magnificat, or Magnificat, as my son hoped, all right? We have the Magnificat. We had Zechariah, John the Baptist father, declaring the Benedictus. This morning, we have Simeon, the Nunc Dimittis. These are all Latin terms drawn from the first couple of words of each of these songs, and they're all significant not only because they're in the Bible, which makes 
anything significant, but, but they really do provide theological reflection on what's been going on in the story. And in this case, Luke is concluding what, what has been his birth narratives, all right, talking about all these stories surrounding the birth of Christ. Now as he begins to wrap this up in chapter 2, he strings together a series of interesting stories. Circumcision of Jesus, dedication of Jesus at the temple, Simeon, another old person, Anna, shows up in the next story. And then we fast forward about 12 years and Jesus shows up again with his family at the temple. Only Luke tells us all this detail, by the way. Luke gives us all the information we have about Christ's life between the day of his birth and 30 years old. So if you're interested in what all of that may be, in spite of what you may hear from other sources, that's it. What you have in Luke chapter 2 is it. It's all we know about what happened. But Luke is choosing this material intentionally. Once again, his purpose is to, to demonstrate to us, the reader, who this Christ is. This is more than just some kind of nationalistic savior who would bring Israel back to a place of power and prominence. In fact, that's nothing like what the Messiah is going to do. Instead, Luke is being very clear that this child is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, yes, but not in a way that everybody may have thought. Instead, this is a Redeemer, the one who would break the curse established in the garden, providing the forgiveness of sins, restoring fellowship with God that had been broken. And this is illustrated clearly in Simeon's story. So this morning we're going to take a look at this encounter. We're going to see that that as as he walks us through what, what is Simeon's encounter with this young family, I think he does something important. He illustrates for us critical features of Christ as Redeemer. Why is Jesus the Old Testament Messiah? I mean, how does he fulfill this? Why is it that Christ, instead of any other kid that may have been born, why, why is it Jesus? And so what he does for us is I think he offers at least three attributes of Christ that demonstrate he is the Redeemer. If you want to take notes, uh, then you've got some blanks to fill in. We will work our way through this fairly expeditiously. You may be able to tell I am struggling along, all right, with something. If I have to drink water, don't hold it against me. If I fall out and I'm sleeping, Judd Copeland's going to preach for me, all right? Wow, Judd, how about that? I mean, it's Bill. I don't know what that means. Nonetheless, still... But if I do fall asleep, just let me sleep. All right, okay, so number one, first attribute that we have from Simeon's story, Jesus is a legal redeemer. Jesus is a legal redeemer. It's kind of an odd point to make, I understand. You know, we may not necessarily assume this is the kind of thing we'd be talking about on Christmas, yet... Luke goes out of his way. I say out of his way. The Spirit clearly inspires Luke to include material that demonstrate Jesus, and only Jesus, fulfills the requirements necessary for Him to actually redeem us. The legal requirements. In other words, what does the law say? 
the Redeemer, the Messiah. What does He have to be? In fact, all of the Gospel stories, not only about the birth of Christ, but then going on, make much of the fact that Christ is fully God, fully man. Without all of both of these, Jesus can't save us. If He's just almost God, if He's 99% God, then He's 100% not a Savior. If He's 99% man and 1% God, He's 100% not a Savior. He has to be both. And the reason why He has to be both, there's several reasons, but at least one of them is this. This enables Him to fulfill the legal requirements necessary to redeem. In other words, Jesus has to be able to be both an acceptable sacrifice. Right? He has to be pure, perfect, holy in the eyes of God, unblemished, unstained, the perfect Lamb, and He has to be Himself a priest, unblemished, unstained, perfect and holy in order to offer the sacrifice. Now, notice how this detail comes up in the story. Again, beginning in verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, The Holy Spirit was upon him. Just as a side note, though, here about Simeon. Simeon's another interesting character. We may dive more into this next Sunday when we talk about Anna. But you'll notice there are four characters in Luke's story in the first two chapters that are old people. Four people. That that Luke is very intentional to say, not only are they old, but they're faithful, just, and devout. Zechariah, John's father. Elizabeth, John's mother, the text is very specific. These are both old people, all right? It's part of the miracle of the birth. Simeon and Anna. And I think these characters are important because this is a way for Luke to demonstrate we've got a transition going on, much like John the Baptist ministry is to, is to transition from Old Covenant to New Covenant. Luke has a cast of characters who are faithful Old Testament saints, who are saying by their story, all right, the old is gone, the new's come. And so he, he fulfills that. When it says he's just, devout, waiting on the consolation of Israel, this doesn't mean that he's just a man of character. Sometimes I hear Simeon preached, and that's what's talked about. I mean, he would be a man of character, but to say he was just and devout meant he fulfilled, as best he could, the Old Testament covenant. And it meant... He understood it. We'll see that in his song. He understands something about the Old Testament that Mary understands, Zechariah understands, but the Pharisees almost never do. The religious leaders almost never get this. So that designation to say he's just and devout, that's saying he's an Old Testament saint. He's like Noah. He's like Abraham. He's like Isaac. He's like Jacob. He's like... Moses, he's like David, he's considered faithful. So, this is the one that God chooses. The Holy Spirit is upon him, and it says in verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Spirit, he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So, the, so he came by the Spirit into the temple. It's another reminder to us, by the way, of Ephesians 1.11. All things happen according to the counsel of his will. 
God is engaged in orchestrating the events of human history to ensure His plan is perfectly fulfilled. He does it in this story. Perfectly fulfills the story. Verse 27. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for Him according to the custom of the law. To do for Him according to the custom of the law. Now, we won't go back to it, but if you were to read verses 21 through 24, you'll find two examples of this. At eight days old, they bring Jesus to the temple, just like Zechariah and Mary brought John to the temple to be circumcised and named. They bring Jesus to the temple. He is circumcised and named. But then the, then the text following that says something interesting. It says, after her days of purification were over. In other words, not just they, they did the right thing on day eight, but the law prescribed a waiting period of sorts for the mother who had given birth. There was, there was a purification process required before then she could come back into the temple. So the text is specific. On this day, 40 days after birth, 32 days after the, the uh, circumcision, they come back to the temple because Jesus is the firstborn. And the law required that the firstborn had to be offered to the Lord. Firstborn male of not only humans, but also livestock. You had to offer that to the Lord. And usually how this happened, you made a sacrifice to the Lord on behalf of the firstborn to in essence say, this child belongs to you. So they do that for Jesus. Jesus then is brought to the temple to be dedicated. Now, I love this little phrase, the way Luke specifically says it about Mary and Joseph. Did you notice how it said it? The parents brought in the child to do for him. Just as another aside here, even though Jesus was fully divine, as a baby. He wasn't a super baby. Alright? In other words, he wasn't talking in full sentences. He wasn't 40 days walking into the temple. Alright? He was a baby. He was everything the babies are. And so, this is something that Mary and Joseph have to do for him. I find that to be incredible. Similar to the language that we hear in the song. Mary, did you know? You know, this, this recognition that even though this is the full divine Son of God, nonetheless, oh, we, do, we do see this is something that has to be done, done for them, for Jesus. Now, what the text, I think, is clear about is that Jesus, then, is a legal redeemer. He fulfills the expectations related to the law. Again, this is critical. If redemption is going to happen then it has to happen this way. Jesus has to get all of the law perfect. It even says, Jesus Himself said about His own ministry, I I, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill every jot and tittle of it, right? In other words, every little bit of the law. And so even as a 40-day-old, Jesus is fulfilling the law, meeting the legal requirements necessary in order to be our Redeemer. You could think about it this way. If you were accused of a crime, 
What are your options in terms of somebody representing you? I think I'm right here. I don't know if Jim's in here, but maybe he'll tell me if I'm wrong. All right? I think you got, you got two options, right? You can get a lawyer or you can do it, right? I think those are the two options. In other words, you can't just say, hey, pastor, you've got a Ph.D. How about you come down and represent me, all right? So that's not going to be an option, all right? You can't do that. So you need somebody in order to go on your behalf or you do it yourself. It's costly to get a lawyer. You know the other reason why there's a rise in people defending themselves? Yeah, the internet. The internet. Read a couple articles and I can defend myself, right? It's funny how there's a parallel here when it comes to people getting to heaven. And there's a lot of folks who think they can defend themselves. They can present themselves before God that they in and of themselves can make their case. They read a few things on the internet and think they're right. This is functionally the problem here. That that in fact, in order for me to be made right with God, I need an advocate. Only Christ fulfills what is necessary for that advocate. So, if I stand before God without Christ and I am my own defender, the only thing God will grant is judgment. See, Jesus perfectly fulfills the law. And as a result, He is a legal redeemer. Number two, Jesus is a global redeemer. Alright, He is a global redeemer. Notice how Simeon then begins his song. What he says about this child. There's much that can be said about Simeon's song. But we'll focus on this one point. Clearly, the parents must know something about Simeon. Because the text only says... He took him up in his arms, all right? So we don't have any idea that Simeon knows Mary and Joseph. Uh, But he does go for the baby and takes the baby, all right? Uh, Takes the child into his arms and offers this blessing. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace, all right? So in other words, now I can die. That's what he's saying. Now I can die. You fulfilled your word to me. You've kept your promise. Another theme of Christmas, right? You've kept your promise. Then he says this, what, what, what a startling statement. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Do you notice what he said there? Again, an Old Testament saint, right? Somebody who knows the Old Testament And what is he saying about the birth of this Savior? Nothing about nationalistic pride. Nothing about the restoration of the the Davidic throne so that now uh, Israel can cast off Rome. What's he saying? This is the light of salvation made known to the Gentiles. He even says that before he talks about Israel, doesn't he? In other words, what is Simeon saying here with this song? What a profound song. He's saying this isn't just about Israel. It's not just about the Jews. It's it's not just about this one particular group of people. Jesus is a global redeemer. It is for Gentiles. It is for Jews. It is a light to all nations. Again, Simeon's song is indeed a profound song here for us. As he makes it clear. One of the reasons why Jesus is the Redeemer, not only does He meet the legal requirements, but He also meets the global requirement. He is a Savior for 
all, all who would believe in Him can be saved. Now, I, I will also say this, and, and is that they're, they're, they're taking her out, okay, so we're, we're, uh, we got folks here who will take good care of her, and so we're grateful for all these folks. Let's thank all these people who helped us this morning. Aren't you glad to know that we have, we have these folks, uh, not only those in our congregation, but grateful for the response team that's here, uh, and uh, we trust... Uh, we trust that she'll be in, in good, good hands. So, so I, I, would, I would also point this out, because we talked just a moment ago about Lottie Moon, the Christmas offering, our missions offering. Listen, if we're doing Christmas, if we're thinking about the gospel, if we're doing church, and we're not taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, we're not doing it right. We're not doing it right. Now, sometimes I've heard folks say, well, why do we take mission trips to somewhere else in the world, or why do we give money to other places in the world when we've got lost people here? These are not mutually exclusive, right? I mean, there's nowhere in the Great Commission that says you can pick and choose, meaning that, that you're, you're only responsible for those within a five-mile radius. No, no, if we're only focusing on local needs, we've missed the point of the gospel. By the way, if we're only focusing on global needs, we've missed the point of the gospel. That's, that's what he's getting at here. This is the light of salvation for all, for those who would believe. So let's make it very plain here. As a global redeemer, the only means by which somebody can be saved is in Jesus Christ. And this is an implied promise. This means that people of every tribe, tongue, and nation can be saved. I, I know I've said this before, but I think it's an interesting point about the gospel. If you study every other world religion, every other means of salvation, and you have to learn the culture of that religion in order to understand it. Not the gospel. Not the gospel. The gospel translates to every culture. Did you know that? Not that there are ways in which we communicate that more effectively, but nothing needs to be done to the gospel. It may need to be translated, it may need to be taught with helpful illustrations, but it perfectly translates from New Bern to Africa to India to China to the ends of the earth. Global Redeemer. Let's go on to number three. This text also illustrates that Jesus is a personal redeemer. He's personal. In other words, what this means is it calls for a decision from every individual. Again, let me stress this. This, this means that Jesus doesn't save blanket nations. Right? In other words, it, it, it means every individual has to do something with this Savior. So notice how he says this, beginning in verse 33. And Joseph and his, and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. 
So notice how he gives this very broad statement, the light of salvation to Gentiles. And then he gets very specific. It'll be to the rise and to the fall. It will reveal hearts. In other words, with the coming of Christ is the coming of salvation. With the coming of the gospel is a division among people, those who believe and those who don't. There is an expectation that this Savior, this Redeemer, requires a personal, individual response. In fact, he even makes this odd statement here, doesn't he? Directly to Mary, saying even you, Mary, will be individually, personally impacted by this. Can you imagine saying this to a new, a new mother? <laughs> well, some of you moms know, right? Some of you moms have people say crazy things to you, do you not? Right? You're holding a precious baby in your arms and they go and express some kind of horrific event that happened to a child that age, right? Have you had that happen? What are people thinking, right? We need a class in this, all right? To tell, you know, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm with you ladies, okay? I'm with you. You don't want people in Walmart touching your belly before the baby's born. All right, I'm with you. All right, I get it. We need a class in this. And just because a baby's born doesn't mean that baby's accessible to all people. All right, I understand. But notice what Simeon says. Verse 35, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul. Yeah, this child will be for the rising and falling of many. Some will believe and be saved. Others will reject their hearts revealed and they will be judged. Mary herself will be cut to her very heart because of this child. Simeon's song is an important one. Again, it, it illustrates for us what, what are key critical features of Christ as Redeemer. It's a legal redeemer, global redeemer, personal. We'll have a time of invitation. We're going to sing together. In fact, we're going to sing a, a well-beloved Christmas song, nonetheless a fitting one. What child is this? The call upon all of us is to ask ourselves, how are we responding then to this child? What is the nature of our relationship with the Savior? To people who may be here who don't know Christ as Savior, this would be my plea to you. Understand, all that is said about Him from Simeon is yet another reinforcement of the fact that no one is right before God except through Christ. If you've never trusted in Christ, if you've never confessed that you're a sinner, believe Jesus died for you and rose from the dead, ask God to save you based on what Christ has done. I implore you to do that today. Trust in this Savior, the means of the Gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll be down front. If you'd like to talk more about this, I'd be glad to. Maybe for others, you'd say, yes, I'm a believer. The truth is, uh, my life has been anything but one lived in faithfulness to my Redeemer. A great time of year to say, now's the time to restore my fellowship with this Christ who has been born. But who wasn't just born, who died and rose from the dead, that in Him you have life now and life forever. Indeed, what child is this? This is a child that demands my devotion, my worship, and my obedience. Does He have yours? Let's stand together and I'll pray. After I pray, this time will be open to you. Father God, we do thank you for, for giving us this opportunity to come together.
and to see your word. We thank you for this message, the song that comes to us, a simple one, a profound one, though nonetheless, of what it means to have a Redeemer. We thank you for Christ, our Redeemer, who meets all the requirements necessary to redeem. May we find ourselves fully trusting in Him. Have your way in us. We pray your Spirit would be on our lives and the decisions we make bring glory and honor to you. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.